Today, we're going to talk to Rebecca Campbell, the author of 138 Dates. Now, Christina, since you found yourself single in your 50s, how many dates have you been on? Definitely not 138, Kay, I can tell you. Uh, I'm pretty impressed with her tenacity on that front. But actually, when I first started dating, it's how I came up with this idea of a podcast, because I hadn't really dated ever online. And certainly, you know, it had been since my early 20s, so 27 years since I dated. And I found that I was making obvious mistakes. Like um, one fellow came on very strong with me, and I couldn't figure it out until I told my neighbor that when he asked asked me what I was looking for I'd written fun and casual and she said well that's code for sex <laughs> I was like oh okay I better not say that anymore so I just realized there were there were comical stories coming my way of of um, women in this situation and I thought you know let's share these stories uh, and have a bit of fun with that what about you Kay? Oh well in, in my own case I uh still suffering from a bit of trauma from you know some of the domestic abuse stuff so dating has not been a number one priority as you can imagine but mm. I also did kind of want to put myself on a neutral headspace so I have been on a couple of dates but also realized I'm not quite ready yet and yeah again I'm not ready for much after a very long marriage and and I remember somebody telling me well you should get on RSVP and you need to know what you're looking for and I guess my what I don't know what I'm looking for hi I'm Christina and I'm Kishwa welcome to our podcast swipe right at 50 and today we're excited to have Rebecca Campbell as our guest she's the author of 138 dates I don't think even in my whole life I've been on that many dates. <laughs> Neither have I, to be frank. Uh, Rebecca is a serial entrepreneur. She's played a lead role in the disruption of two industries. Her company, Hey You, is used by more than a million Australians to order and pay at cafes. Her first business was Scorpio Music, and it developed the careers of some of Australia's biggest stars. Rebecca collaborated with Warmer Music to pioneer new business models that revolutionized the relationship between um, record company and artist and established offices in New York and London. She's a passionate writer and has kept a blog since 2012, which it has uh, was named Best Business Blog by Smart Company. She wrote a weekly column on entrepreneurship for the New York Times from 2012 to 2015 and for the Australian Financial Review Boss Magazine from 2016 to 2020. Her latest project is her first book in 138 Dates, which is the story of her search for a partner after spending many years focused on her career. Welcome, Rebecca. Thank you, Christina. So with all those career achievements, Rebecca, of course, I'm very curious how you managed to then squeeze in 138 dates. So um, starting at the beginning, my understanding was quite early on in your life, you lost a partner and, um, and then you didn't date for quite a while. So do you want to just sort of touch on that a bit before we talk about your 138 dates? Sure. Well, my first partner, as you mentioned, was um, very, I mean, we were together in our teens and early 20s. We did break up, which was just one of those stupid things you do when you're young, but not that long after that, he was killed in a car accident. And so that really threw me and I was full of regret and grief. And also I'm sure 
you know, some of the similar kind of thought processes is that I wonder if lots of people have and they've lost it, someone that they love, you know, trying to find someone that kind of is good enough to honor that person. Um, that was something where I got stuck as well. I was like, if I find a new partner, then they have to, you know, be someone who Steve would have approved of. And that's an extremely high bar. So I found that and that, and then I just used that, I guess, as an excuse to stay stuck. So I didn't go on a date for 10 years and then found myself at 34 thinking that I really wanted to have a family and I wasn't going to, it wasn't going to happen unless I made some changes. Oh, wow. And so some of our listeners who are sort of approaching 50s or in their 50s might have also had a bit of a break from a dating scene or sadly become a widower or coming out of a domestic violence situation. So looking back, you talked about if a bit of a regret or stuck, what recommendation would you have to those women in terms of if they're contemplating dating and looking back on your life and the big gap that you had? I think I was, I was very afraid of being rejected and I was afraid of um, looking silly, putting myself on the internet um, and other people seeing me. So there was lots of fear. I think that my fear of being alone for the rest of my life at some point, for me, it was age 34, it overtook the fear of being rejected and of being looking stupid. So I think that those two, that fear was still there. So it's not like you can ever, I mean, I don't think you can overcome that fear or just say put that, that fear is not going to be there anymore. That fear was very real, but the fear of being alone and missing out, that fear kind of was greater. And so that was my, that pushed me, I guess, out of my comfort zone and onto the dating scene. Um, you know, my advice is to kind of weigh that up. You know, yes, it is going to be scary. And yes, you probably will get rejected and it will be hard and there will be tears and there'll be self-reflection, um, you know, but if you can stick at it and eventually, you know, and learn some things when you can find that person, it's, you know, what's at the other end is incredible and your life can change so quickly when you find the right person. But there's so much other advice. That's like one, you know, tiny, you know, that's like just putting yourself out there. But then there's lots and lots on the, in terms of technique and, and, you know, things to do and things not to do, which are in the book. Like business though, right? Lean in in spite of the fear. I think you touched on something very important there. Yeah. We've got to weigh up, you know, yes, it's going to be scary, but you know, what's more scary, missing out, being alone. That's also very scary. It's very scary for me. Yeah. Uh, Rebecca, you were clearly very attached to Steve, and uh, it seems that on many levels you you regretted breaking up with him. Do you think hanging on to him so closely in your heart and head prevented you from meeting anyone else when you first started your 138-day journey? Yeah, well, I was comparing everyone to him. I wanted to find someone who was as good as him, um, you know, which is impossible when someone's passed. You know, I mean, he was like a very perfect person. I can't think now of anything, you know, I can't, I, I can't wrap my head around the fact that I may be making him more perfect than he was because to me he is perfect because, um, um, but, you know, you're never going to find perfection in a relationship and, and someone who's here and who, you know, you will have arguments with and differences of opinions about things and you wish that they would, I don't know, spend a little bit less time on their phone and things like that, you know, that's that's just reality and you, you're not going to find you know that that perfect person and the other thing I think you're getting at potentially is that I did talk to him for a long time I believe that he was with me and and I also believe that you know 
we'd be together again one day and, you know, I might find someone who could kind of tide me over, I guess, until, you know, I died and I could essentially be with him again. And, and then I really, I tried hard to wrap my head around, you know, could you have, you know, if you really love someone, is it wrong to love somebody else? And, and what happens after you die? You know, do you get to go back to your first love? And what about the person that you find? And, and you know, the two things, one is that I, I decided to let go of believing that he was with me. And not that I believe that he was gone. I don't believe these people go. I do that. And that is a choice, really. I choose to believe that people are, still exist in some way. I don't know how, but I, I, that's my choice to believe that. Um, but I also chose to believe that he wasn't with me anymore. And, it, you know, talking to him was not productive for me anymore. And it was, that was really sad to let go of that relationship. And let, it was like, a, it was like another breakup 10 years after, 10 years after he died, I decided that, okay, I'm not going to talk to you anymore. I don't know where you are, but you're not with me. And it was only then I was able to, I met Rod, my now husband, two weeks later. So yeah. that was because I think I'd, I mean, I talk about it in the end of the book. I interviewed this um, researcher in dating psychology from the University of Toronto, and he talked about attachment theory. And, you know, when you break up with someone, whether it's through loss or through breakup, you know, you, you have a lot of different attachments to that person and you can continue to try and fulfill your attachments when I can try to continue to fulfill some of what I needed from Steve after long, long after he was gone through talking to him and believing he was with me. And whilst I was doing that, you know, I potentially didn't have the space for someone else to come in yeah. and fill that and fill that. So letting go, I think, was an, an important part of my process. It seems and like it was from reading the book. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, well, it just happened. I did meet Rod straight after I had that kind of realization and that sad letting go moment. Um, and the other thing about, you know, what happens after you die and can you love someone else again? I really struggled with that, even in the early days with Rod, because I, I really loved this person. And but it was that, but I also still loved Steve. And and I just had this this thing came into the line came, came into my head, and I don't know where it came from, which was there's just so much love, and I think that you know we have this kind of very limiting view of love on earth, which is that it's, you know, you have one person and that's your soul person. And then that's the love. But that's, I think that's actually completely untrue and you can have an infinite amount of love for more than one person. Nice. I okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, thank you for that. I think um, you touched on a lot of things that will res resonate with me. And I think will resonate with a lot of listeners as well, how to get, um, one's head around this notion of the one true love and yes. also for women in their 50s who are not necessarily looking at starting a family but more likely if they have children already like Christina does you know it's, it's more a blended family situation so um, do you think uh, your experience or let me rephrase that what is some of the things from your experience you'd be telling you know your 50 year old or women in their 50s um, I mean, I think like women in their fifties generally are better at knowing what's important. So mm -hmm. if you look at, you know, I've done some research into this, mm -hmm. you know, more recently, because I know what I'm talking about when I'm doing my book, promoting <laughs> my book, but, um, but like women in their twenties and thirties tend to look for, um, 
attributes in a partner that are related to fertility. So for example, height was really important to me. Smart was really important to me and educate. Things that are really not important at all. Whereas, um, you know, there's some research that was done on the RSVP database of, you know, the, what people search for when they're in their 20s and 30s. It's very different to what people search for in their 40s, 50s, 60s, or 50s, 60s. They start to get into, um, you know, reliability, honesty, um, ability to self-reflect. And these are actually the attributes of what makes a successful long-term partner. So that, you know, these are things to look for, someone who's reliable, someone who's caring, um, you know, not someone who's smart and tall. <laughs> um, so I think that probably women in their 50s are better at looking for that. Um, advice would be, from what I can see, from talking to a bunch of women of different ages now about looking for love, who I've connected with through the process of writing and promoting the book, is you've got to be realistic. Um, and that perfection is not realistic. And there's a, I do notice it maybe a bit more as people get, as, as people get older, like they kind of have this very clear idea of what they're looking for. And if like, if they don't want me, then that's fine. Like more like this is me and I want this. And it's often just not realistic. Um, you've got to work out what are your nice to haves versus your non-negotiables. And non-negotiables might be things like honesty and reliability and, you know, and nice to haves, you know, might be things like non-spoker. Like, I don't know, there's just things that, that um, you just got to um, really look at what is important. So a nice person who is a good, you know, good to come home to, who's interested in you, who's interested in your growth and development, is that's, that's the kind of person that you want. They don't have to be super smart or super successful or anything like that. That's interesting <laughs> because I noticed that as you started dating men, you, you did adjust your criteria because you realized you actually didn't have nice and kind as, as part of your criteria. So that, so that became <laughs> one. Kind. Is- it's a not, yes, kind. I see, I see a therapist through my book. Yeah. And, um, and I remember her saying to me, nice is good to come home to and I also asked her you know of because she does a lot of couples counseling for people who are at the other end of their relationship and I asked her you know what what are the kind of attributes of people that tend to break up and she just said caring just you know nice goes a really long way and um and then also her, her advice also was similarity is actually quite important in terms of successful long-term relationships because people argue about the differences you know, so having similar interests, being in a similar life stage. And then, you know, someone who's nice, who's good to talk to. Those are reliable is a good thing. Those mm-hmm. are the important things. Interesting. So there might be hope for me at my 50s. I'm learning. <laughs> my question is about uh, the differences between men and women. Do you think men are looking for the same thing as women if they're looking for a partner, particularly older men? Um, and I find this because, as I say, I'm, I'm dating and new to dating. I was in a very long term marriage that recently broke up. And I so on my age profile, I've got like a 10 year before um, window. And I notice a lot of men in their very late 30s and even early and late 40s, someone was 49 recently and posted this and they say they want children someday. And, and I think, well, this might be part of their prerogative because they don't have a biological clock. But do you think men and women are actually looking for different things on these dating sites? Well, I mean, you've got to like, 
as you go through these dating sites, you become much better at deciphering the kind of candidates, you know, the kind of people that would make good candidates for your dating pipeline, essentially. And I think someone who, you know, if you're in your 50s and the guy's got that he possibly wants children, probably not a good candidate. Like, yeah, just roll them off, you know. swipe left on those. <laughs> also, um, also, I would always look for someone who, you know, what their, what their age and a potential, their, their preferred age and a potential match. And if they were like, you know, maybe they go 10 years younger, a few years older, and that's kind of normal, reasonable. But if they're if their preferred match include eight, included 18-year-olds, then they're likely not a good long-term match for me. So I would just count them out. So, I mean, I do think one difference is if I was in my 50s, I would be using RSVP or eHarmony. I wouldn't be using Tinder or probably even Bumble or Hinge. I would be using I'd be using the dating sites where people have to take a bit more time to fill in their profile because they're much more likely to be serious about looking for a relationship. So, you know, that is one tip that I would give. Okay. Good tip. Thank you. And the other tip would be it's a volume game. So people on these sites expect that you'll be having conversations with multiple people at once. You should expect that anyone you're talking to is having multiple conversations. Um, And I think the other thing, that I learned is, you know, people will say <laughs> that, it, you know, it's slim pickings as you get older. And I think that that's true. I think the older you get, the less, the, the, there's a reason why some people are long-term single and um, that the number of people who are long-term single proportionately to the number of really good matches get smaller as you get older because those people partner up and they tend to quite often stay partnered. So um, you have to be willing to sift through a lot of people quite often to find a really good one. And for me, it was 138. When I met Rod, you know, he had just come out of a long-term relationship. He'd been in a seven-year relationship. He just started dating again. No, I was probably the fourth or maybe the fourth or fifth person he'd been out with. And I just happened to be there at just the right time. Um, and, but if I wasn't in it, doing all those dates, I wouldn't have met him. And a lot of the other men I met, like, you know, I would often start a date going, oh, this guy's great. I don't know why he's single. And then, you know, half an hour in, I'll be like, oh, okay, that's why he's single. <laughs> um, and yeah, just, that's just going to happen. And sometimes you can have a good date and they don't call you back. And that's fine as well. You know, that there's potentially they're afraid of commitment. They're yeah. not even looking to commit. Or maybe they're looking for something that's different to you. And that's fine as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a, some advice that my therapist gave me, which is in the book, which I think is great, which was I didn't, you know, one of the hardest things about dating is that you go out with someone and you think they're great. You had a great night. And then, you know, this particular guy kissed me and I was so excited. And then he never called me again. And I would just sat staring at my phone for three days, completely blindsided as to why he wasn't calling. And I was texting him thinking he must have lost his phone or something. Um, But no, he just disappeared. And my therapist told me to think of myself like a product and that there was nothing, that there's someone out there shopping just for me, looking for my unique set of features. But for whatever reason, 
He was looking for something else. Doesn't mean to say that there was anything wrong with the product. It's just that I was not a good match for him. Mm. And, um, and But if you keep going at it, you will find someone who's looking for you. And so I was like, that kind of took the sting out of it a bit because from then on, there was a lot of other men that I met that I thought the date went okay at least and then never heard from them again. And then I was like, okay, well, we're just on a match. He's not looking for me. Um, you know, I'll find my guy if I keep if I keep it at it. Now, you've referred to a therapist a number of times and also you talk about um, in your book and on your website about, you know, providing some date coaching services. So, yes. you know, for in our youth when we were younger you know there wasn't sort of you know I don't remember ever thinking oh, I've got to go and see a dating coach or uh, a therapist to help me repartner so what are some of the benefits in having someone on your team so to speak a therapist or a dating coach you know to help you through you know um, make your way of dating in your 50s well I think you know you've got to pre- when you the one thing is just to pre- when you're dating you want to prepare yourself to be the kind of best you know you're essentially putting yourself out to market and you know you want to do whatever external stuff you can do to you know look nice and things that you know you want to make an effort but there's also a lot of internal stuff so that's you know learning to kind of regulate your emotions to um you know become comfortable with yourself that but they can also you know therapists see so many people who are in the process of looking for a relationship that you know, I found it really helpful to ask her, you know, what should I ask on a date? You know, what what are the other people feeling? If you're seeing, she's seeing a lot of men as well that are looking for partners, you know, how do they feel? And she would, you know, give me examples of the kinds of things that she would see from the men's side. And she would, yeah, she just gave me lots of advice about kind of things to ask, you know, how to not be judgmental. It was just more, so it was work on myself, um, and it was work regulating my emotions so I didn't get all crazy and insistently text and chase people. Um, and because that's when people go a bit crazy in the early stages of a relationship and scare people away. So when they can't regulate their emotions properly. Um, like what to look for. There was just, yeah, I just got a lot of good advice from her. You also referred to internal work. So was that sort of self-esteem related and or Yeah. 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 yeah, that's what I meant. Yeah, and mm-hmm. self-esteem, self-confidence. Mm-hmm. Um, that all that's really important. I mean, you want to, yes. yeah. When you when you arrive on the first date, you want to be your kind of best self. You don't want to. Um, and there's so many things that I did wrong in those early first dates. Um, you want to be just comfortable being yourself, and you don't want to be. You know, I went in with a list, and I was kind of like assessing constantly on the date. Does this person you know, meet certain criteria or whatever. Can't even remember. But, you know, you, you've got to kind of give up trying to get to some kind of outcome when you're on the date. You've got to just, you know, because the best first dates are the ones where you just have fun and you're yourself and you feel like you can, you know, you're talking for hours and it's not about, you know, there's no assessing or judging about the other, the other person. Because when you, if you're judging and assessing, you don't have those conversations where they just flow and you're, having a great time and that's that's when chemistry happens thinking about your journey Rebecca if you could do it all again would you change anything and if so what would it be and if not why not 
I would have loved to have read my book before I did it <laughs> or when I was on my journey. Some advice, yeah. Just like the advice and also just to feel less alone, I think, to see someone else's story and be like, oh, okay, all these things. I just completely normal the way that I'm feeling right now. Um, uh, I don't know. I mean, I have a very happy with the outcome. So we're now very happily, you know, been together almost seven years. We have two beautiful young children who are three and five years old. And so, I mean, I wouldn't do anything that gives me a different outcome than I got. <laughs> so even though it was really hard and there was 138 first dates, yeah, I'm still, there's nothing that I'm more grateful for that I, than, than putting myself through that process because I'm so glad that I didn't give up. No, but that's great to hear. And um, you are offering a course on dating. So I'm assuming oh, yeah. you think it's something that can be taught. So tell us a bit about that. What made you develop a course on dating? Oh, I just keep ask, getting asked for advice so much. Mm-hmm. I mean, I usually do business mentoring, yes. but um, I found that I've, I've just been getting so many messages and calls from uh, people asking me to have calls. And I love the phone calls that I've been getting. Um, and I've been running these um, webinars with RSVP as well on um, like talking to different academics about dating psychology. And it's just, there is so much you can learn. Mm -hmm. Um, So I just wanted to share all those insights. I'm still preparing the content at the moment. Um, But yeah, I think there is a lot you can learn. There's nothing that, there's nothing in my life that makes me happier than what I managed to figure out and essentially get at the end, which was my, lovely partner and love um and so if I can help anyone else then that will make me very happy so so yes I'm trying to build a course so that um, I can pass on everything I know and also pull together as many experts as I can to kind of give the very best advice that we possibly can and also work with people because I think that you get stuck you can you can learn stuff but once you actually get out there and you you know you're actually on the apps and you're sending out messages and you're getting messages back you know, I'm finding through talking to people that are messaging me through reading the book. And I'm like, oh, yeah, you just need to do it like this. And don't worry about that. And then, so I wanted to create a course where I could kind of funnel all these people and, you know, have like, web, so we're going to do live webinars every week where we can actually look at people's profiles. Because I can look at a profile and go, no, you know, you're, you're doing this all wrong. This is what you need to have on your profile. And this is going to attract the kind of candidates that you want to attract. And these are the kind of right first messages. And, you know, you're looking, these things that you're looking for are not important. These are the things that are important. So, yeah, I want to, um, if I can help anyone find love, I just think it's the most important thing in life. So that's why that's why I decided to do a course. Fantastic. Sounds like I should sign up. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm curious to know what made you keep going. Um, 138 dates. It's a lot of dates that didn't work out, you know, 137 yep. to be exact. Um, so, and I know you did falter a little bit throughout the process. And, and so I'm curious to know why you didn't just give up and focus on your own happiness and your very successful career. I just was always optimistic that I would find the person. I also thought of myself as an 80 year old woman looking back on my life. And I wanted to be able to tell her that I gave it everything I had. I didn't want to give up. I just wanted, I wanted to at least know for myself that I'd put everything into it because it was so important. It was more important to me than my career, my business. This was what I really wanted in my life. And so 
I was never going to give up on it. There was, you know, maybe some thoughts at some points where I felt really down, but I never stopped. I just wanted to touch on the topic of children. So women in their 50s will either have children or they won't. I'm one of the in one the people in the category of I don't have children. So entering into a new relationship, what are some of the conversations or thoughts you need to have in mind, you know, um, when you there's children in the mix and they may be adult or they could be young still needing um, support, guidance, and they still live with you? Yeah, I think what I would say overall is not to have <clears throat> too many conversations that are kind of assessing how everything's going to work too early. I think like the early stages of a relationship should be about getting to know each other, should be about having fun and those conversations like trust and conversations about how things are going to work will evolve in time. They may work out, they may not work out. Um, you know, I think you've got to be prepared to have some of those that don't work out. But I just don't think you need to, don't be too serious on the first day or the second day even and to say, you know, you've got children and I've got, are you prepared to do blah, 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 blah. I just think, you know, focus on getting to know someone for who they are and their heart. And, you know, do you like this being around this person? Are they a good person? You know, and then work out those, those, those conversations will come naturally. And if they're a good person and you really like each other, you know, you're going to figure out how to work, make those things work out. Hmm. Yeah, good point. Now, we've talked about your book and then um, you've mentioned some webinars you're doing in conjunction with RSVP and the course you're developing as well, Rebecca, on um, successful dating. So where can our listeners find out some more information about your course and also the webinars you touched on? Oh, sure. So they're all on my website, which is RebeccaCampbell.com, which is R-E-B-E-K-A-H, Campbell.com. Um, so the, if you go there, you can find all the webinars. There's videos of all the webinars. So we've run three already and we're running more all the time. So And they're all up there for free. And also the course will be live soon and um, in the book as well. Very Excellent. exciting. It's a good book. Thanks. I recommend it. Yeah. Thank you. And, and the book you can get at any bookstore in Australia. This is the round where we just ask you some quick questions and don't think too much about them. And um, just tell us what's, you know, comes first in your mind. So the first question I have is what do you um, recommend for women in terms of clothes for their first date? Something that they're comfortable in and that they think, you know, you made, I think you've got to make an effort as well. So you want to be comfortable. You don't want to wear like ridiculously high heels or anything. But I think you do want to make an effort around your appearance. You want to put your best self out there. Excellent. Yeah. What about location? Cafe, bar oh. or outdoors picnic for the first I mean, date? I liked meeting in a bar slash restaurant for a drink because then if it didn't go well or if it wasn't, you know, I wasn't excited then you could just admit for a drink and that was all that was planned and then you can go home and it's a quick date. But if it's going really well, you can, there's a restaurant there and you can say, oh, do you want to stay for dinner? So I, that was my favorite date. I didn't really enjoy meeting for coffees in the middle of the day because and I'm sure some people like it, but um, I just wanted something a little bit more romantic than that, especially if it was going well. I mean, when I met my 
now husband we met for a drink and we stayed for dinner almost immediately and then we went dancing it was just a you know it was, we, we went we ended up being out very late and it was a really romantic evening and so i like to be able to have the potential for an evening like that if things are going well mm, that's a good idea yeah and what about safety considerations on a first date so i would never meet anyone who i hadn't spoken to on the phone and so i would message online i would not message for very long so no, no more than three days of messaging, I would say. And then do you want to have a conversation on the phone? And some people will just say no, or they'll just disappear, which is more likely. And then that's fine because that is a natural screen. If they're not willing to have a conversation on the phone, then they're obviously not serious about looking for a relationship. So I would have phone calls. I mean, I always do my phone calls on a Sunday. But that's just my kind of planning mode. But I think have a phone call with someone and then, you know, you just got to meet somewhere that's public. I always met at, at, a, at a bar restaurant that I knew. I ended up going to the same place every week for, you know, one and a half years. And I had to tell the wait staff that, that I was, what I was doing because they, um, they had this kind of script that they did, which was, have you eaten here before? And they explained the menu. So I just had to say, look, you know, I'm doing this thing. I'm dating every week, do the whole script. <laughs> um, so I liked going to the same place where I was very comfortable. Oh, and I liked, I liked being inside because I just thought the light was nicer <laughs> and not, yeah, too, no, not too noisy where you can hear each other. Yes, no, good tips. And last question is how do you make sure you avoid scammers? I mean, scammers are not as common as you would think. I mean, I interviewed the CEO of RSVP the other night and he said they haven't had a trouble with a scanner for years. So, um, but they, I mean, they have local support, which is different, I think, to some of the international apps where, you know, if someone notices something strange, they'll report them to a local team that are all based in Sydney and then that person goes out is off the site and their IP address is banned. So it's much less likely you're gonna get scammed on a local site than on an international site. Um, I also think, um, obviously you just gotta have your wits about you. You never, I wouldn't talk to anyone for more than three days without a phone call. And you obviously never give, you know, you've got to meet people quickly. If you don't, at the moment, you can't meet face-to-face, but you can meet on Zoom and, you know, work out is this person a good match or not. I think people get scammed when they have drawn out relationships through messages and phone calls and don't actually ever meet face-to-face, which, you know, I know is not great at the moment, but you will be able to go for walks and stuff soon, you would hope. No, thank you for that. Fair enough. Great advice. Hmm. Um, Rebecca, thank you so much for making the time to participate in in our podcast to help women reset their lives uh, and embrace their 50s and beyond. And we really appreciate um, the chat. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Kishmar and I want to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which we recorded today, the Ngunnawal people, and we pay our respects to their elders, past and present. We'd also like to thank my aunt, Akta Jahan, for the music. And also my son, Maxwell, for some uh, technical support uh, with the editing.